You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And we love you. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hi, y'all. Thanks for having me. So we are going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. A lot of you know we're carrying on this Hope in Hard Times uh, series. And so what I want to do is I want to read the text first. First thing, read it all for you and then sort of go through it piece by piece. I think there's some good lessons here for us. And so what I want to do is read the whole chunk and then we'll take it very, very small bites at a time. And in fact, I'm going to start one verse early. I'm going to start verse four just to give us some setup. So if you have it, great, open it up. If not, it'll be on the screen. All right, let me, let me read to us. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Here's the thing that this text is going to do for us or to us, uh, in us, is it is going to confront what we think about justice. We are, human beings are wired for justice. We just are. We want to be right. We want the bad guys to go to jail. We want our thoughts and opinions to be the right ones. And we want the people who are wrong to admit they're wrong. We love justice. And for a lot of us, you do not have to dig very deep to find this, okay? It's right under the surface. In fact, it happened to me not too long ago um, while I was watching TV with my wife, okay? Now, my wife likes two TV shows. She likes Call the Midwife, and she likes Little House on the Prairie, okay? Basically, if it's a show and women in bonnets are having a hard time, that's her jam. That's what she likes, okay? Now, I do not like Call the Midwife. I don't really like Little House on the Prairie, but as a, a lot of dads will do, I'll walk by and kind of see, and I'll get sucked into the episode, okay? So this thing about justice totally came alive for me while watching an episode of Little House on the Prairie. So who remembers or knows Little House on the Prairie? Anybody? Okay. Okay, we've got some old people here. That's great. Okay, so uh, if you don't know, Little House on the Prairie is this show that was on 500 years ago, and it's about these people, and they have a little house, and it's on a prairie, right? So it's this family. They're out. They're pioneers. They're going out west. Charles and Carolyn Ingalls are their names. They have some kids, and they move out. They head out west, 
and they live out on a prairie, and they have this little town called Walnut Grove. Yes, right? It's this little bitty community. They're trying to raise their family. They're, they're just doing the best they can. It's a very successful TV show, and it looks real peachy keen. It's a pretty intense TV show. I may become a fan of Little House on the Prairie. But the episode that got me was this episode called Bully Boys, okay? And I want to explain to you, Bully Boys, I promise we will do scripture. We're not just going to do TV recap, okay? So in this episode called The Bully Boys, these, these men show up to Walnut Grove. And it's, it's these brothers, and two of them are adults, and then one of them's like a teenager. They're called the Gallanders. And they show up to Walnut Grove, and they start spinning this tale that they've got money coming their way, and they're going to plant in Walnut Grove, and they're going to they're gonna make a life there. But they immediately are scheming. So they buy a bunch of stuff from the Olsons on credit, but they don't pay. And then they steal some wood from the lumber mill. And then the younger brother punches Charles and Carolyn's daughter in the eye. I mean, they just are wreaking havoc in Walnut Grove. And it gets so bad that the town sort of collectively decides, we don't like the Gallanders, we don't want the Gallanders. And about halfway through the episode... They're all at church. There's just one church in Walnut Grove. Reverend Alden is the pastor, and he chastises them. He sort of tells them. He makes this impassioned plea about showing grace, about showing love, about not being mean to the outsider. And the, and the church, the people of Walnut Grove, they have a little bit of a come-to-Jesus moment, and so most of them are like, okay, we'll give the Gallanders some grace. But not long after that happens, Carolyn Ingalls, the wife, the mom, is carrying some eggs, some of their eggs. I can't remember if she's bringing them home or taking them to somebody. And she encounters the Gallanders. They, 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 they come upon her in the woods, and they start saying, give me those eggs. Why don't you give me those eggs? And so she says, well, they're not for sale. And they keep getting more and more threatening to her. And you can see her getting more and more upset. And again, pretty dangerous here and eventually they kind of manhandle her they they try to get the eggs i think the eggs fall and they break and carolyn ingles runs off and she goes back to the cabin and it's later that night charles comes home and he's asking about the eggs and she won't tell him what happened and so he's pleading with her and he's kind of just being very persistent and finally she starts to tell the story but even then she's trying to you know, trying to kind of play down how scary it was, how dangerous it was. And so there's this moment where Michael Landon, who plays, who plays Charles, he, he sort of, he tears up and he, he sort of, he's kind of quivering, you know. He's, and then the, the line he says to her, just real quiet, he says, did they put their hands on you? And it's this really awkward moment and, and, and she acknowledges that they did. And Charles turns, spins, and tears out of the cabin. I mean, just an absolute sprint because he's going to find the Gallanders and he's going to give them what for. Now, I don't like Little House on the Prairie. Remember this. <laughs> but when Charles hits that door, I sit up in my recliner and scream, Get him, Charles! <laughs> because I didn't want the Gallanders to get away with it. That thing in, uh, of justice, that was in me. Look, I know it's not a real show, but I was feeling bad about the eggs. I was feeling bad about Carolyn. I did not want the bad guys to get away. And this scripture is going to talk to us about our sense of justice. 
And the reality is sometimes we have a very different idea of justice than what God does. And so in the text today, he's going to help us understand this. So I want to look at verse 4 and 5 to start. We, we read the whole thing, but let's take it in pieces. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So when I got the text from Clint, the actual text I'm supposed to preach on started in verse 5, which just said, this is evidence. The reason I read verse 4 was because that's what I did when I saw the text. You see a phrase that goes, okay, this is evidence. I went, I went back one to say, okay, Paul's obviously just said something and said, hey, this is evidence. And so what he says is that this evidence of God's presence and power and righteousness and judgment is our steadfastness. It's our faith in what we're doing. In fact, he says it makes us worthy of the kingdom of God. And I don't think that way about suffering sometimes. You probably don't either. When we're in the middle of suffering and affliction, usually if we're having that pain, we very rarely think, yes, thank you, Lord. This is making me worthy of the kingdom. We don't think that, but Paul is saying that it's the steadfastness, it's the faith in the middle of the affliction that is evidence of the suffering. It's not the suffering. Lots of people suffer. And what Paul is telling us here is that you can suffer good or you can suffer bad. You can glorify self or you can glorify God. But we don't, we don't make the right choice a lot of times. I certainly don't do it in my life. Now, maybe you're like me. Hopefully you are. So I'm 46 years old. I feel like God has to teach me about the same five lessons every three years, right? So he'll teach me something. I'll be like, thank you, Lord. Yes, I've got it. Yes. And then three years, I'll be like, why is my life so bad? And God will be like, okay, let me teach it to you again. And this is absolutely me in the case of suffering. So a lot of times when I go through suffering, I, instead of saying, oh, I want to suffer well and I, I want God to be glorified and I want to walk worthy. Instead, I'm like, hey, what is this? God, what are you doing to me? You're trying to kill me here. Or if I'm really, really in a dark place, a lot of times, and I know some of you have done this, been lots of times I've looked at God when I've been suffering and I've said, hey, what did I, what have I done? I'm trying to do right. All these other people around, they're not doing right at all. They're not suffering. What, what, are, you, what are you spanking me for? What, what, what did I do wrong for you to hurt me like this. And so what God is telling us, is going to tell us in this passage, is he's going to talk about suffering and judgment and what he's doing. And never once in this passage is God going to say, oops. He's never going to say sorry. He's never going to say, oh, I gave you too much a dose of suffering. Paul said, I'm boasting about this because your steadfastness is evidence that God is working in us. It is so strange how we talk about people who are suffering. I do this all the time. So if I know somebody going through something, it just shows you my mindset. Maybe your mindset's the same. When I know someone who's suffering, I'll say, oh, I feel so bad for them. Oh, what did they do to deserve this? I hate this. And I'll be real honest with you. I often forget to think, hey, let me look and see how they're glorifying God. In fact, I'd probably do better to look at my friends who are suffering and say, Lord, I know you're doing something there. I know you're working. Glory to God for how they're living. I, even when it's not my own suffering, I look at the wrong thing. 
listen, this happened a couple of weeks ago to me. Do you ever do a thing on, on the internet? You know, you find a little joke or meme or something and it's so funny to you. You know, you just see it and you're dying laughing and you share it with your spouse and they're like, that's not that funny. Or, you know, your kids are like, this isn't funny. But you just, you know, you just laugh for an hour off and on. And maybe it doesn't happen to you, but this happened a few weeks ago. You find that thing and then like later that night, you're like, oh, I'm laughing because that's me. That's about me. I thought it was about someone else. So this is what I found on Twitter a couple weeks ago from a guy named the Andrew Nadu. Everyone is fighting a battle you don't know about, except for me. I am complaining loudly about my battle. Everybody knows about it. I laughed at that, and then a couple of hours later was like, oh, that's, that's me. That's me. Instead of being in suffering and thinking, God, how can I, how can I walk worthy here? I'm telling everybody about it. Oh, man, isn't this so sad that I'm suffering? And yet God is speaking here to help us understand this thing, that the stuff we're going through is evidence of something bigger and greater than just us. I don't want to endure suffering, but God's telling me that it does something, that it has value. And so the first thing I think we can draw from this is that our suffering glorifies God. Paul wants us to know from the very beginning, your suffering, the way you suffer, can glorify God. Now you might say, all right, I'm a practical-minded person. How do I do that? How do I glorify God in my suffering? I think it's actually kind of simple because I believe if you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's Holy Spirit with you. And I think simply knowing that truth, simply acknowledging that truth in the middle of suffering, praying that prayer, God, I do not know how to glorify you here, but I want to. God answers that prayer. You will find peace. You will find wisdom. Simply acknowledging the truth is sometimes so powerful. Now let's move on. Verse 6 and 7. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. There is a day coming where the people and the things that afflict us will be brought to justice. God says there is a day coming where the, those that afflict you, I will afflict them. I will exact justice on them to grant relief to you who are afflicted. Now, this is one of the challenges of being a Christian in this day and age. When we read the Bible, we know this, that the the Thessalonian church was started kind of quick. We know that in this day and age, a church in that time was certainly open to persecution and affliction. We know this. This is historical fact. These churches were persecuted and they were, people were killed and they were intimidated. And we know that. And so sometimes when we're reading the Bible and we're trying to apply it to ourselves and we're trying to think, okay, what does this mean for me? It's easy for us to think about ourselves like we're exactly the Thessalonians. Okay, so I'm about to say a controversial thing, okay? What I want to say, it runs counter to what a lot of media tells you, specifically conservative media or Christian media. So when I start talking about it, you're going to want to get mad, okay? But hear me out. I'm a nice guy. I did not come here to start trouble. I'm your brother in Christ, okay? But just hear me out. So verse 6 and 7 says, all these people afflicting me are going to get what's coming to them. The news, conservative news, liberal news, Christian news, a lot of these things, 
for about the past 10 to 15 years have been telling us this narrative that, that our religious liberties are under attack. In fact, a lot of Christian media will have you thinking that on any given Sunday, soldiers are going to kick in the door. And so conservative media and Christian media tells you to bunker up and to buy ammo and to be ready. And while I do certainly know that there are people that are hostile to the gospel and certainly want the church of God to not succeed, the reality is, is that you and I are really not that persecuted. As much as we would believe that from watching six hours of news nonstop, it's actually not true. But there are people who are persecuted. In fact, there's many websites and organizations. I went to one this week called Open Doors. And the Open Doors website is a site that tracks religious persecution, Christian persecution all around the world. And there's a drop-down menu on the Open Doors site with 50 countries. And you click any one of those countries and they will give you a death toll. It will show you how many thousands of people in that country have been murdered the past year for their faith. You and I probably did not drive to church this morning scared that we would go into work tomorrow and be fired because one of our family members ratted us out. You probably are not afraid that you won't be able to buy food this week. You're probably not afraid you'll be shot today by a family member for coming to church. But there are people who do face that affliction. Can you imagine the hope and comfort of this, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Can you imagine what that feels like when it's read by someone in Yemen or North Korea or Kazakhstan who reads this and goes, there's a day coming. There's a day coming where every single force of darkness that would afflict us will meet it's match. What hope, what peace, what a way to give his people endurance. God says, I'm going to have justice. And it's good for us to know that those verses still apply in real life, real time. And so we'll move on. The next time you feel yourself getting hot watching the news, the next time you feel your blood pressure rising, because the libs are coming to get us, because they're going to shut down Bethel White House, let me lovingly encourage you. This is what I've had to do lately. When I can feel myself getting hot, I'm trying to stop and pray for a country. Just like, okay, God, I know how it feels here, and I'm safe. I know how it feels here to be this little bitty religious persecution that I might feel every once in a while. Let that uneasiness in you fuel you to prayer for nations all around the world. There are tons of websites where you could find resources for that, ways to pray for that. We are afflicted though, even here. Ours may not be the same as these people in the other countries, but I am not ignorant of the fact that there are very real things that afflict us. Some of us are fighting sickness and pain. There are some of you who wake up every morning just hoping you don't hurt today. And you think, man, i praying you can find a doctor to give you some relief. There's some of us who are doing everything we can to make ends meet. We get a little head on money and we think we got some and then something breaks and we got to spend it and it feels like no matter what we do and 
how hard we try to honor God, that there's just not enough money. Some of us are in marriages that are on, hanging on by a thread. Some of us are battling depression and anxiety every day, just trying to stay, just keep your head above water. There are things that afflict us every single day. They chip away at our faith. They needle us. They wear us down. And some of us are there right now. We pray for peace and we pray for healing and we believe God can do that, but we know that that doesn't always come in this life. And what God is saying to his people is that your suffering will not last forever. It's hard, but relief is coming. Our text today teaching us our suffering glorifies God, but it also tells us that justice is coming. That We look forward to that day. Our God is holy, and when Jesus is revealed from heaven, he's bringing justice for everybody. There's a day coming where pain and sickness and hurt and depression and fear will meet its match. There's going to be a day where pain is no more, and God will bring your enemies to justice. So Clint mentioned how long I've worked at Bethel, and most of that time I've been a worship leader. I've been leading music, doing like what Adam and the team were doing. And so I love music, and I've always loved music. And when I was a little kid, went to a very small church in a very small East Texas town, and really contemporary Christian music wasn't really a thing yet, so this would have been kind of 80s. And so I would get so excited when we were going to have a concert at our church. Now, it would always be on Sunday night, and it would be Southern Gospel. My parents listened to Southern Gospel music. I was a kid. I like Southern Gospel music. I still like some of it. It's really good. Now, this was the day of, like, the Kingsmen and the Cathedrals and Gold City and the Hensons and all of these groups. Now, Harmony Hill Baptist Church was not getting that level of Southern Gospel, okay? We were getting, like, the folks from Nacogdoches who had a quartet, right? So they would come in. And they would sing these songs, and I can remember sitting by my parents, or more specifically my grandparents, and, and being sort of really excited that it was a concert, right? It was music, and it was all music, no preaching, which was really what I wanted. Adam giving me a fist pump, great. But, but I, even as a young age, I would, I would get so frustrated because all the songs were about heaven, every song. Well, I'm going to walk those streets of gold and blah, 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 you know? There'll be pain no more, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I remember thinking, why do my, why do my grandparents, they're saying the same thing for 13 songs. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not old, but I'm a lot older than I was then now. And now I know. I know why my grandparents wanted to hear songs about heaven. They're longing for home. They're, they're, my, both of those grandparents are still alive and they still listen to Southern Gospel music and when they cut it on, before I know it, I'm crying right along with them because, because we long for home. And it's hard to wait on going home. It is. But God says, relief's coming. Justice is coming. Look at the next verse, starting in verse 8. It says that Jesus and the angels come in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. It is good for us, it is encouraging for us to know that our enemies, physical and emotional and spiritual, will be subject to God's wrath. But that's not all he says. Because if God is truly justice, if he's truly just, he will exercise his righteous 
justice on everyone. That's how it works. He says that the flaming fire of vengeance will be inflicted on those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I wish there was an easier, nicer, less threatening way of saying this stuff, but there isn't. Our sin separates us from God. There's no way for a sinner to stand in the holy presence of God. Our sin is a death sentence. The flaming fire, the eternal judgment, the separation from God, that is a justice that's coming for those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. That justice is coming too. But even in this, there is hope. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. A lot of people know this verse. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The flaming fire of vengeance is coming to those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of Jesus. But Corinthians just told us there's a way out. That Jesus died on a cross and became sin so that you could be made righteous. He gave us a way to be made clean. Jesus has spared us from the flaming fire of vengeance. My prayer is that when people hear 2 Thessalonians talk about this stuff, of being separated from God, this is my fear. I, I don't want anyone to think, man, this is this crazy religious cult stuff, burning fire. My prayer is that if you don't know God, that when you hear that, that your thought will not be how crazy, but rather your thought would be, Jesus, save me from that. That's what I hope you hear. So you may have gone to church your whole life. You may be brand new to church. I'm going to tell you, if you've never had a moment where you said, God, I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you. I cannot be righteous on my own. I accept the work of Jesus and the cross. I, I want to be made righteous. If you've never done that, you can do it today. And you don't have to come up here and you don't have to talk to me. Listen to me. I, I don't want to lose the opportunity here. If you are lost, you can ask God for forgiveness. You can be redeemed and restored and made righteous before we're done today. You can do it in that brown chair. You don't have to do anything special. We don't have to have just as I am playing. You pray and acknowledge that you are a sinner and you need God and God will save you. We serve a saving God. So we know that our suffering glorifies God. We know that justice is coming and we know that justice is for everybody. Let's look at the last few verses. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
it's easy to miss this little part in verse 11, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve and good and faith and every work of faith by his, by his power. There's a day coming when justice is going to be done and our sadness and pain will be no more, but sometimes that day feels a long way off. But Paul says that God is powerful enough to strengthen us, to give us the ability to do good works and have faith and glorify Jesus. That's what we said at the beginning. Our suffering can glorify God. There's a way that God will, by his power, help us to suffer well. Don't you want that? I want that. No matter what I'm going through, I want it to honor God. And what the scripture tells us is it can. Your suffering can honor God. Our God will sustain us. My whole life growing up in church, there was this one thing I heard all the time about church that I always hated. And maybe you've heard it before, but this was what would happen a lot of times. People would be talking about Sunday church, and they said, well, I have to talk like a southerner because that's how I heard it, you know. Well, Sunday church shouldn't just be a pit stop. You shouldn't just run in here and get filled up and then go on and live how you want to live the rest of the week. Now, I understand what they're saying. That's true. Our faith should be with us every day. And at the same time, Sunday should absolutely be a pit stop. You ever seen a pit stop? You ever watch, you ever watch a pit stop? This car comes in. The tires are on fire. The windshield's messed up. They're out of gas, and they pull in. And in 31 seconds... A new car pulls out? That's why when you watch a race, there's a camera on the pit stop. It's an amazing thing to witness. If you didn't know that, you think, that car's going to explode before it's done. And in less than a minute, it's back. It's the same car, but it's fueled up. It's rolling a little better. Maybe even giving the, the driver, maybe pat his brow or something. Sunday should absolutely be a pit stop. When you're a part of a local church and you live in a broken world and you're struggling, your church should absolutely be a place where you can show up empty and defeated and weak and be able to say, y'all, I got nothing and I'm going through some stuff and I am not glorifying God right now. And for people to come around you and to refuel you and to give you new tires. God says that we, he will sustain us by his power and he's put around you 80, 100, 140 people who are there to help you. This is why it's good to go to church and it's why anybody who says, I can't go to church, my life is too messed up. I'm like, man, have you ever met people in church? I mean, I, you know, it sounds like a joke, but there's not a perfect one and we know that. Our suffering glorifies God Justice is coming. Justice is for everybody. And God will sustain you. There's a man in my life, almost done. There's a man in my life I've known for a long time. Um, he's, he's old now. He probably doesn't have much longer. And he's, as he's gotten older, he tells me the same stories over and over and over again. And one of the ones that he tells me is that he, when he was much younger, I think in maybe his 50s or 60s, um, he got a cancer diagnosis. And... I've heard this story probably 20 or 30 times at this point. But he will tell this story where he's, you know, he's sitting in the doctor's office and he gets this cancer diagnosis. And he would always tell me, I walked out of the doctor's office and I was standing in the parking lot and I said, thank you, Lord, for this cancer. 
That's what he'd always tell me. I just said, thank you, Lord, for this cancer. And he ended up surviving, and it was, it was a, a great story of, of God's miracle power. But I can remember initially thinking that was a weird, that was kind of braggy, right? And I didn't really believe it. I did, you know, I'm like, well, you weren't really thankful for cancer. But the longer I knew this guy and the more I heard him tell that story and explain, what he was actually saying was that's all I knew I could say. Like, I, I didn't feel thank, thankful for cancer, but I stood in that parking lot and I thought, okay, God, help me glorify you in this. And if he were standing here today, he would tell you he, he said thank you absolutely in faith. He did not feel thank you at all. He probably wanted to say forget you to God or maybe even some worse version of that, but he said thank you. And he endured it and he glorified God. He did something. He said something. He acknowledged something. And maybe today you need to do something. With a room this size, there's people going through all kinds of things. But maybe today God wants to change something in you. Maybe today God wants to teach you something about suffering. Maybe some of us need to confess that we're mad. God, I'm going through this and I'm mad about it. And I have not wanted to glorify you, and I have not glorified you. Maybe today's just to confess that. You might as well. God knows it anyway. He knows you're mad. I mean, I'm not God, but I can know my wife is mad without any words, okay? And I'm not, I don't have perfect knowledge. I, I'm not God, and I've only known her about 30 years. God's known you from before you were made. He knows you're mad. But there is something that maybe you need to do today. Say, God, I, I want to glorify you. Help me to glorify you. Maybe you're in that other category where you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never prayed that prayer. And today you need to accept the finished work of Jesus to say to God, I need a Savior. I need to be made righteous. I need forgiveness of my sins. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you need a pit stop. Maybe you need to grab somebody today and say, I'm hurting. Can you pray? Can you, can you hang out with me? I guarantee you, if you're brave enough to say that to somebody, they'll absolutely back you up. You shouldn't be afraid to ever say that. Or maybe today you know someone's suffering and you need to go to them. And you need to say to them, not, I'm so sorry, and I can't believe this is happening. Maybe you need to risk the awkwardness and say, I can see you glorifying God in this. I want to tell you, that would be a balm to their soul. People you know going through stuff that you could say, I see God in you. I don't know what you need to do. But I do know that when we open God's word, he calls us to do things. That his word changes us and transforms us. And so I, I want to pray in just a minute. And we'll be quiet for just a minute or two. And I'm going to give you time just to think or pray. We'll just be quiet before the Lord and then I'll close us. But let me just say this one more time. That your suffering can glorify God. And justice is coming. And justice is for everybody. And God will sustain you.
Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.